Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. So good to have you here with us today on episode 309. We're going to be finishing up, wrapping up our Power of the Pipeline series with Eric Ream. Now, if you're just jumping into the podcast now, you may want to go back to episode 305, where we started this series. And so over the last few episodes, we covered the lead-in stage, the contact made stage, the phone meeting, the proposal, and now we have finally arrived at the contract negotiation stage. Now, the good news here is that most of the work is done at this point. The client has accepted your proposal, all that's left to do is to sign the contract. Should be a slam dunk, right? Well, not exactly. If, if you've made it to the stage, you've got about an 80, 90% chance of closing the deal, but there's still a few loose ends that need to be sorted out to make it official. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. We'll cover contract details, things to, things, things to consider for your writer, and how to handle getting a deposit from your client. You're going to be putting in so much work here. You want to make sure that you close the deal at this point. So keep listening to hear Eric and I talk about the final stage of the speaking pipeline. And again, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thanks so much for coming along with us on this journey. So let's get into it. Here's part five of the power of the pipeline with Eric Ream. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the fifth and final episode of our five-part series, The Five Stages of the Speaker Pipeline. And so in the previous episode, we discussed the fourth stage, the phone meeting stage. This week, we're going to wrap it all up, put a pretty bow on it, bring this plane in for landing, and discuss the fifth stage, the contract negotiation stage. So as always, joined by Mr. Eric Ream, who is uh, here at the Speaker Lab, our Director of Education and Student Success. He is uh, day in and day out working with our, our students, doing everything he can, uh, along with the Student Success team, just to make sure that our students are successful. So uh, Eric, looking as beautiful as, as always, uh, thanks for joining us today, man. Awesome. Man. I'm so excited about this, Grant. This has been a fantastic journey and I'm hoping everyone else has got as much value out of it, just you and I putting into it. I mean, it's been really fun. I love this last stage. This is like the cherry on top stage, right? This is like the dessert after the meal. This is why you work out and you eat them. You want to get to that piece of pie at the end. This is that piece of pie. In fact, <laughs> I can't tell you how fun it is, Grant, to print out that agreement, right, and sign that agreement. That's so much fun, right? I even have a desk in my office that's there just to sign agreements. That's my agreement signing desk. And I love it when I sit there after this long process and I'm signing it and knowing that this is becoming real. This is when you're about to close the deal. So I can't wait to talk about that in this episode. I mean, this whole series, like we're really, we're really pulling back the curtain here. There's a, uh, this is the secret sauce. So this is kind of like, uh, you know, Coca-Cola revealing their, their secret formula, you know, of this is how the, this is how the, the sausage is made. And so this is like, you know, for, for Eric and I, for so many students that we've worked with, uh, this process, this pipeline process that we've been walking through is exactly what we do, what we teach, what we follow. 
in terms of being able to find, book, uh, and and deliver uh, for speaking gigs. So let's kind of recap what we've discussed and covered. Uh, so the five stages of the pipeline. Again, we have the the first stage, the lead in stage. Can go back, listen to that in the first episode. The contact mage stage two. The phone meeting, which is stage three. We talked about that a couple episodes ago. Uh, the previous episode, we talked about the proposal stage. And then in this episode, to wrap it up, we're going to talk about the contract negotiation. Now, remember, like we've talked about, this whole process is a, is a, a series, a, a pipeline that is managed within a CRM. Now, the CRM stands for a Customer Relationship Management so, a Tool or Software. And so there's a, there's a couple different options for that. You have tools like, uh, Eric, you, uh, I know you use PipeDrive. Uh, a tool that we've recommended before is HubSpot. They have a free option. Uh, you could do this in a, a, a spreadsheet. You could use Post-it notes, whatever. The point is that you have a tool, that you have a system that the pipeline stages can fit within so that you know as you as as leads are moving through that process you're able to manage that and keep track of that and so we discussed the proposal stage last episode where the purpose was to, to really formalize the value of your talk so the prospect can make an informed decision on whether or not to hire you you want to get an official approval so you can move forward to the contract stage and so at this point there's there's about an 80 percent chance that you're going to book the gig uh in the previous stage again that that's the the proposal stage uh, but at this point let's say that you've been approved the event planner has selected you for the event. There's nothing uh, quite as enjoyable as that when they email you and said, let's do it. We're in. We want to book you. Let's move forward. What do we need to do? What's our next step? Man, that is a fun email. That's a fun phone call to get. So now it's time to lock it in, lock in the deal in the, the fifth and final stage, the contract negotiation stage. All right. So Grant, the, the main elements in this stage, number one, probability. So we always want to open with that. So at this stage, now you're about a 90% probability you're nine times out of 10. Once you get here, Grant, you're going to book the gig. Now, there's always a chance that you may lose it. And I've had times this happened before, and that's frustrating. That's why it's not always perfect. It's not 100% of the time, but it's pretty darn close. So you're at 90% probability you're about to do it. So the purpose, like you mentioned, Grant, is you want to lock it in. This is, this is how you lock in the gig, to get that agreement. That's the main thing. You might not always get the deposit. Most of the time you'll get a deposit, but at a minimum, you're always going to get that agreement. Okay. So the goal here is just you're formalizing everything. You're getting them to formally commit to you. When they sign on the dotted line, they are committing to you. We are going to hire you as a speaker. So Grant, like all the other uh, stages, there's keys to success. So what are some of those keys in this stage? Yeah, and some of these keys are things that we've covered, but just to reiterate, especially for how it applies to this particular stage is one that, again, you wanna keep it simple, keep this process simple. You wanna make it simple for, for uh, the client, make it simple for the end user. Uh, you wanna make sure that whenever we, you're putting together that agreement, it's, it's very easy to make that overly complex and complicated and, and get into the very legalese. Uh, I know some speakers who have just pages and pages and pages of this, you know, uh, that's been reviewed and edited by uh, attorneys and lawyers. I'm like, sure, you could do that. But like, there's also something to be said for just a really, really simple uh, agreement that just states, here's what I'm responsible for. Here's what you're responsible for. Here's a couple little nuanced details. We want to make sure we're on the same page on what the financial agreement is uh, and make sure that that's spelled out. But it doesn't have to be like this, you know, again, this 10 page uh, single uh, space, uh, uh, five point uh, font of uh, detailing every possible, you know, legal scenario here. Uh, you also want to make sure that you be flexible uh, working with the event planner to accommodate needs. We'll talk about this in a second about, uh, especially when it comes to deposits and ideally you want to get a deposit, but there's times where maybe they not, they may not be able to do a deposit. So be a little bit flexible with that. Uh, also being systematic and persistent in your follow-up during this stage. So 
just because, you know, like Eric, you said, you got a 90% probability, give or take. And so they've emailed you and said, let's do it. You've sent them a contract, but until they've signed something, until you got money in the bank, uh, there is, there's still room for something to happen there. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I've never been a realtor, but, um, my wife and I enjoy watching a few realtor shows from time to time. And it always seems like, all right, let's do it. And you know, there's a handshake deal, but like there's still plenty of time for something to fall apart and something to, to not work out. So until like everything is signed, the document money has exchanged hands. Like then there's still, there's still some, uh, uh, there's still need for you to make sure that you follow up and stay, stay top of mind with them. So the, the agreement has a couple different parts to it that, uh, we're going to get into So Eric, can you kind of walk us through what, when we, when we talk about the, the contract negotiation and what they say, yes, let's do it. What do we send them at that part at that point? Yeah, so it has four major parts. In fact, we use the term agreement and contract interchangeably, Grant. So um, it just depends on what you're more comfortable with. Some people like the term agreement more than contract, uh, but we use them interchangeably. But in the agreement itself, that's why I like to call it uses is the contract portion. That's the first part, meaning that these are all the variables we discussed. So Grant, you told me what date you want to do it, what time, uh, what talk you want to do, who's going to be your main contact, what are you going to pay me? Uh, are there travel included, uh, deposits, all those variables are in the contract. So that's where you put that in there. The next part of the agreement is the writer. And what that is, is that's where you have specific needs that you're expecting um, to get when you go show up to the event. Meaning that uh, maybe you like a handheld mic, maybe you like a lavalier mic, maybe you want a podium, um, you make sure they have a projector. Are you going to use their laptop? Use your laptop. There was a time where I used a lot of music in my uh, talks, Grant. Um, and the I dancing? My, uh, no, no, I should have danced because I'm really good at it. But I did mm -hmm. use some music to make my point. And I would use my cell phone. And I needed a, a, a plug-in for my cell phone. So I would put that as a writer. Um, also, too, I like to... Uh, set an expectation of how I want the stage uh, the stage as far as lighting if I can and also how I want the audience seated if it's classroom style is it uh, auditorium style is it uh, in groups how I want that so if you need that if it's specific for you you want to put that in the writer now the other two things you put in there is to help the uh, event planner because they're going to need this anyway so in the agreement I will put a biography in there Grant, so it's about because usually what they'll do is they want to put me in their program on their website and they need a biography. So I'll put that in there, my bio, and then I'll put the introduction. So normally they're going to have someone come up and introduce me, Grant. So what I'll do is I'll put uh, well, two or three sentences or five sentences of, of what they're going to do to introduce me. So all I'm doing is make it very easy for them. So there's four parts uh, to that agreement. Anything you want to add in there, Grant, that I'm missing? Yeah. Uh, so we actually had done a couple of other podcast episodes on some of these topics. So we did episode six. If you go way back to the beginning, a couple of years ago, episode six and episode 171 were about the speaking contracts. And uh, so definitely go check out those. Uh, speaking writer, we talked about more in episode 85, what exactly a speaking writer is and uh, when to include that, what, what's the purpose of that. So again, go check out those episodes. Again, episode six and 171 for the contracts uh, and then episode 85 for the, uh, for the biography or excuse me, for the writer. Uh, on one other thing I didn't, I'd, I'd put on the introduction is you absolutely want to write this out. You want to make sure that you are manuscripting it out and making sure that you're clear for the, the, the person that's introducing you. Don't wing it. Don't just come up with some bullet points. Don't just riff on this. This is not some talking points. Read it as it's written. Okay. I'm trying to make your life easy. So rather than them just coming up with something, because remember what that person is saying when they introduce you 
is the last thing that will be said on stage, the last thing that the audience will hear before you take the stage. And so you want to control that, even though they're the ones saying it and then they're passing the mic to you, um, it still has an effect. So one of the things I like to do is I like for that last line that they say to be somewhat of a joke that I know tends to land. And so I know that there's a little bit of laughter, it kind of lightens the mood as I'm coming up on stage. Uh, and so you wanna, again, you wanna control that by making sure that you are scripting out the introduction and, and what's included there. Now let's, uh, let's talk about the deposit for a second, okay? It's really important that ideally that you get a deposit from this client. So uh, we talked about in the previous episode that once you've sent the proposal, you've penciled in the date, that the date is basically held for them. But until you get back the signed agreement and ideally get back the deposit, uh, it's still kind of up in the air. But once the, you get that deposit, once you get that, that, uh, that signed agreement, then uh, it's really formalized and finalized the date. And so it shows, it does a couple things. It shows commitment. It shows that they're all in. We're, we're right, we want to do this. Uh, we've got literally money on the line here, but also it helps with cash flow. So one of the things that, that tends to be the case with most events is they are booked several months out. And so you may book something and uh, that's six months, nine months from now. You're like, that's going to be great when it gets here, but I ain't making a dime until then. So especially if you have some uh, ongoing uh, travel costs that you're going to be carrying until the event. You know, you're going to book a flight a month or two before the event or hotel or rental car or anything like that, where you're going to have some out-of-pocket expense, especially with flight, uh, that you, that the, the uh, getting a deposit can help with that cash flow and can, can break that up. So, uh, so again, you want to make sure that you, you have that deposit if possible. Not there's going to be situations and scenarios where maybe they, uh, they're not able to get you the deposit. So just be aware of that. I know that uh, some universities I've worked with in the past, sometimes uh, government organizations, I've worked with a couple of people who, uh, who got a grant for a grant, which is fun. Uh, but maybe the grant stipulated that they weren't able to pay a deposit for until uh, all services were rendered. And so ideally you get the deposit, but also uh, recognize that there's going to be situations where that may not be possible. And so be flexible. Be, be able to, to kind of roll with that. Hey friends, do you know what the five stages of a great speaking pipeline are? If not, listen up, because when you master these five stages, every lead that you get will have the best possible chance of turning into a paid gig. Now, whether you're just getting started or you've been a speaker for a while, the key to success in professional speaking is having a flexible, predictable system for finding, managing, and booking gigs. That's why my team and I have created a brand new program to walk you through step-by-step -step all five stages of the speaking pipeline. We demystify the process for finding gigs, we clarify the steps necessary to turn a cold lead into a booked gig, and we lay out a complete system for lead management no matter where you are in your speaking journey. To learn more and to access this comprehensive tool to mastering your speaking pipeline, check out thespeakerlab.com slash pipeline. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash pipeline. Yeah. So Grant, that's good, man. That's fantastic. And so the main thing is when you're doing this, like anything else is you want to have a sequence of events. And one thing I'll say about cash flow, Grant, what's really cool at this stage of my, my business is if I look at, I do a week to week track of my finances 
And I rarely go a week where I don't have income coming in because of that very thing. So I've got deposits coming in. I got events I've done where they're actually paying me now for that. I've got other partnerships I'm working on. So that's a really cool thing where you have cash flow. That's a stream of cash that's coming in on a regular basis. So that, that deposit does help with that. Now, like every other stage grant, we have a sequence that we're going to go through. So after you move into the contract stage, what you want to do and they say, okay, we're ready to go. Let's go ahead and lock this in. You immediately want to send them an email. Uh, I call it the agreement package. In that package, there's three things, Grant. Number one, you want the agreement itself, everything we just talked about with those four parts. The second thing you're going to need is send them that W-9, right? Because they're going to need to pay you. They're always going to ask for that. So I go ahead and send it to them uh, in that agreement package. And we send them the deposit invoice. I do that because what I want to do, again, set the expectation. Hey, we're going to lock this thing in. Here's the agreement, my W-9, and here's the invoice. And that gets the ball rolling. And so I just lay that expectation that, hey, you're going to pay me to do this. Once you sign the contract, get your uh, go ahead and get the invoice and let's move ahead. Now, what I'll do is, similar like I talked about in the proposal stage, is Grant, I'll mark uh, in my CRM that I want to follow up two days later. And in that email, I'm just asking them, hey, just want to make sure you got the agreement. Make sure there's no questions, anything you need from me, just to make sure we're good to go. And then all I'm doing is just nudging them forward a little bit after uh, to move, move the ball down the, the road, right? Then what I want to do is I want to make a note to follow up again in two weeks. Now, uh, you don't have to do two weeks. You could do one week, however you, whatever you feel comfortable with. Again, event planners are busy. This may be an event, you know, in their mind, they've locked you in, right? They're like, okay, he's coming, but uh, it's nine months from now. It may be even a year out. So they're not really, uh, they may drag their feet to actual si actually sign the agreement. And I've had this happen before and that's fine. You just want to stay connected that way. So what I'll do is I'll send up, uh, I'll do it for two weeks and I'll do it every two weeks. I'll, I'll follow them up. Hey, just want to check in. Uh, want to make sure we're we're still locked in here. Uh, I still got it on hold. I always mention that, Grant. I've got it on hold. I will let them know that uh, no one's contacted me yet. I still got you on hold. So if you want to lock it in, go ahead and sign the agreement. And I'll just do that for every two weeks. And I may have to do that for a month. I may have to do that for six weeks. I've had that happen before. It doesn't necessarily mean they don't want to sign you. In their mind, they may have locked you in, but they just don't, they don't sign the agreement yet. And then uh, eventually, hopefully they'll sign the agreement. But there are times where maybe we've gone eight weeks now, it's two months and they haven't signed an agreement. And I'll just send them an email and say, hey, just want to make sure that we're still locked in here. Um, I've got it on hold. Has anything changed? Do we need to set up another phone call? Something like that. But I want to close it out. So I don't want to wait too long. And there have been times I've had to send that dreaded final email grant, but they just, for whatever reason, it got crickets, right? I mean, we got all the way to the, they said they're going to sign the agreement. This has happened before. And I tell them, hey, listen, um, I, I still want to do the event, but I'm assuming that maybe things have changed. I haven't heard from you in a while. So if I don't hear back in the next couple of weeks, I'm just going to assume that we're not doing this now. And I'm going to pull out and close close this, close this out. Now that's a hard email to send, but sometimes you need to send that email. And if they're truly interested, they're going to follow up. Oh no, here's the agreement is my finances. My finance department was being weird about it. They wanted to wait or whatever. We wanted to wait to our next fiscal year or whatever that is. Here's the agreement. Or if you don't hear back from them, Grant, then they truly are not interested. And then you have to close it out. And guess what I do? I reopen it again for next right. year and start the process all over again. You see how this all stays the same. It's just systematic. Um, any thoughts on that, Grant? 
Yeah, again, the, the, it's pretty rare that things would fall apart at this point, but it does happen. And so like you mentioned, there are, depending on the organization, there's some organizations that it's like, hey, this person can sign it, they continue to deposit, and it's all just bada bing, bada boom, it's done within a you know, matter of a couple of days or a couple of weeks. But if you start working with, especially again, with a, you know, some big organization, a big you know, government or municipality or something, they may have all kinds of hoops to get a document. And you know, we can sign this, but we actually have to have 24 different people within the different departments sign it and there are different buildings and you also are supposed to bring us a you know a vial of yak's blood from nepal and just like what the heck you know like all these crazy hoops that you got to jump through Uh, and same thing with like getting a deposit you know it's just like uh it is just a huge huge ordeal so main thing is like as long as it feels like there's the things are in motion and it's not just like sitting on someone's desk somewhere uh, but just saying top of mind with them now you also want to be prepared for the following during during this stage that let's say maybe you receive the deposit but not the contract right um that could happen uh so you want to follow up see if they signed it but you, you don't want to again uh be a huge pain on that um if if if, if they've paid you that's a really good sign now ideally again you're going to follow up it's, it's pretty unusual that you would get the deposit without the contract. But um, another scenario that could happen is maybe they have a standard agreement that they want to use. So I've had this happen a couple times with universities that we don't sign um, uh, vendors contracts. We use our contract, right? Which is, again, it's fine. It happens. Um, read it over. Don't overthink it. It's pretty rare. Uh, and I don't know. I was trying to think of any scenarios where um, we've really had to go back and enforce something in an agreement. Um, and it's, it's just, it's not, it's not that common. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't care about it. You absolutely want to have a contract, have an agreement, have it written out and spelled out what's supposed to happen. Especially if we look at, you know, what's happened lately with, with COVID and all that, you know, force majeure has, has been something that's really come into play for uh, events and speakers. But um, so you want to have it, but if they're using their agreement, just make sure that it, it lines up with everything that would have been in your agreement. Uh, there's also going to be situations where maybe they say, Hey, we we're, we're ready to do this, but we require you to have insurance. Now, sometimes this is just kind of a, a standard request for all vendors. Uh, and if they ask you about it, they, you, you may be able to, to get them to drop the requirement. That's not uncommon. I've had numerous events that have asked me for it. I've kind of pushed back a little bit. Uh, and again, it's just kind of, just kind of standard. It's just like, yeah, for every vendor. And then you also kind of, once you kind of paint the picture, I'm going to show up. I'm going to use your microphone. I'm going to stand there. I'm going to talk. I'm going to leave. Do you realize, okay, there's probably not a lot of risk versus, you know, we are having a magician who's going to come in and breathes fire and throws knives at the audience. Like, okay, we might want some insurance uh, for something like that. But um, again, if, if, if need be, you may need some type of temporary insurance, but again, not super common. Actually back in episode 188, uh, we talk about insurance, all different types of insurance. And, and specifically, we also dig into uh, event insurance that a, an event planner or a client may want you to have. So uh, these are a couple of different scenarios. Eric, any other type of scenario that could come up at this point? Yeah, uh, I actually did have this happen to me twice where I had an event planner send me the deposit and they never sent me the contract. And for whatever reason, they just never did it. And I'm like, hmm. all right, whatevs, I'm, I'll, I'll come do it. And I did it and I got paid. So that happened to me before. And I have two... Uh, organizations I've worked with in the past that require insurance and it's just and these are municipalities or larger municipalities it's just something they don't let you on their property without insurance and so I just I go I get the minimum thing I just get what they need a certificate that they need and I and I I spend a few hundred dollars on that and so that that happens before but one other thing too to remember Grant or to think about and and I've had this happen to me where you I have some event planners I've worked with where they plan on hiring me multiple times in a year 
And instead of signing multiple contracts, Grant, what they want to do is sign like an open or parent con or an umbrella contract. Mm -hmm. And they say, hey, listen, we know that we want you to speak, you know, four or five times a year with us. And these are the, the terms. These are, when we hire you, we're going to pay you a daily rate. We're going to pay you a certain amount. And we just want to agree on this now. And then whenever we call you up and say, hey, we need you to uh, book this event, then we know exactly what the contract says and we, have, we don't have to sign five separate contracts. And so I have two organizations right now that I do that with and that's fine. So that's something to think about. And actually maybe something that it's as a speaker, it's really nice to know that no matter what, every year I want to have about five to 10 events. I know right off the bat that I'm going to be doing because I've got this open contract. So that's something to consider and be open to uh, when you're working with event planners when it comes to the contract stage. All right, let's, uh, let's kind of recap here again what we've covered. Again, if you've been tracking with us the whole five-part series here, if you haven't, first of all, you need to go back and listen to all of them because each of these episodes is very, very meaty. We cover a lot. You should be taking notes, scribbling, pen, pencil, marker, crown, lipstick, chapstick, nail polish, blood, whatever you need to use. But there's a lot here we've got into. You want to make sure that you have. You've, you're taking copious notes here. Also, some of this is stuff that we actually cover inside of uh, the book, The Successful Speaker, uh, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, and Building Your Platform. So if you haven't already, definitely go pick up your, your copy of the book. Uh, all right. So let's kind of recap here. The five stages of the pipeline. Again, number one, stage one is the lead in stage. Uh, stage two is the contact made. Stage three, the phone meeting. Stage four, the proposal. And then the fifth and final stage that we covered today is the contract negotiation. So the, like we've talked about, you get, it's about 90, 95, 97, 98% probability. There's a really good chance at this point the event is going to happen that you, you've, you've done the gig, you verbally agreed to it. Now we just got to uh, literally kind of cross some T's and dot some I's. Purpose here is really to lock in the gig to gain that formal approval for uh, this gig that you're, you're going to be doing. So uh, Eric, as we've, we've gone through again, like really in depth here on this entire process, can you kind of talk through just to kind of wrap up here of what this process has done in your own business? Oh yeah. Well, I think the thing for everybody to remember Grant is that we're, this is a journey. That, that's what this is all about. And along this journey, you get different markers of success along the way. And just remember that this, every journey is different. So it's not going to be your journey is different from my journey. Everybody listen on the podcast, you all have your different journey, but the whole point of this pipeline grant is like, this is your compass to help you keep you on track. That's what this is. And then take that compass and it's embrace your journey. So Grant, I think what I want to do is just close this out with an, I think an appropriate, story of my journey and how this has helped me. And this is the $20,000 gig journey. Think about that, Grant. When I met you in 2015 and I said, I didn't, I don't, I don't think when you and I met, we met for 15 minutes. I'll never forget you and I had a call for 15 minutes. This is back when you just did 15 minute calls with everybody in the beginning. And I, and I think if you would ask me, Hey, what's your goal? I don't think I would have been able to even dream of, yeah, I want to do a $20,000 gig. That's my goal. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to get, I just want to get, I just want to get a thousand dollar gig. Right. So I booked this year a $20,000 gig grant. Think about that. $20,000 to go in front of an audience and to take something I had in my head and I, I, I speak it through my mouth <laughs> and people sit and listen and they're going to write me a $20,000 check. But here's the journey. And this is where the pipeline helped me along the journey. I met this uh, lady in 2001. I will call her, her name's not really Jane, but protect the innocent. Let's call her Jane. I met her in 2001. This is before I even thought about being a speaker. I developed this relationship with Jane. And then 13 years later, 2014, she called me up and said, Eric, you are really good at this particular issue. I, we want to write a book on this. We want you to be one of the authors on it. Would you be willing to do that? So I said, sure, Jane, let's do that. 
Then Jane got started to hear that I'm, I'm doing speaking and she referred me, somebody contacted her and said, Hey, do you know any speakers? And she goes, I know this guy named Eric. He's done some work with us. Maybe he'll do his talk for you. He called me up Grant and this, and he said, Eric, do you want to uh, come speak at our event? This is the first time anybody's ever asked me to do that. And this is before I met you. And this is before I knew anything. He said, how much do you charge? My first paid gig was a referral I got from Jane in 2015. I met Jane in 2001. Okay. So she was in my, in my network. Then in 2015, after the book was published, Jane said, do you want to do some workshops on the, on this book? And so she started hiring me doing these workshops. Then in 2019, Jane asked me to speak at the very conference I met her at in 2001. So I met her at a conference. I was just a vendor. I was there. Oh, actually, I was working for a utility at the time. I was just a participant in the conference. Jane was running the conference in 2001. I met her at that conference. Then I went on this journey in 2019, 18 years later, she said, do you want to speak at the very conference that we met at, right? And so I spoke at her conference, Grant, and on the stage, I delivered the talk. And in that audience, there were 11 people that came up to me afterwards and said, we loved what you uh, did. We'd like to get more information on what you do. Out of those 11 people, two people hired me. And one of those people that hired me offered to pay me $20,000 for that gig. That all started in 2001. My point is, is everybody listening to this has a Jane in their life. And if you just take that Jane situation, you plug it into the pipeline, the system is going to help you de define where and clarify where that gig is with that Jane personality, that person you're connected with. And the system is going to get you to the mountaintop and is going to get to whatever your $20,000 gig is. And I can't wait for one of the people listening to this or one of our students to come back to us, Grant, and tell us their $20,000 gig story because everyone's got it. Everyone's got the potential. This is, do you have the, the tools? And we're giving you that tool. And I'm so excited for them to utilize the tool. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab Podcast. And before you take off, don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We read every single one of those. It helps, it helps other people to find the show. Listen, we, we don't charge anything for you to listen to these. We don't have any ads or anything. We do this because we want to serve and support speakers like you. So one small favor we ask of you is that you would leave us some type of a rating and review. Again, we really, really do appreciate that. If you're looking for more help, support as a speaker as you build and grow your business at whatever stage you're at, don't forget to check out thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. We got a ton of free resources and tools over there. So again, check it out over at thespeakerlab.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.